0: Third down and five, the Panthers on the season, second in the conference at 47%, second to Wick. And Kenny's in trouble, he's going to run, he's going to get the first down, 50, 45, he wanted to slide, he's at the 40, the
1: 35, the 30, the 25, the 20, 15, 10, pick it, touchdown, 58-yard run, and the Panthers are on the board first. He, He tried to slide, and then he stopped, I saw the sand kick up, and then he just hit the Jets, Billy, and took it
0: to the house. And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, I'll tell you what, I am just glad that within all this crazy news, we had four hours on Saturday to be able to crown an ACC champion, and it was indeed the Pittsburgh Panthers.
1: Yeah, Dan, I mean, you and I both picked Pitt. We both picked the under. They both ended up hitting, even though it looked early on like neither were going to end up hitting. But this isn't to, to toot our own horn. It, it's a it was a, a great game that you know it ended up getting away from from the Demon Deacons in the end. But just a great college football Saturday. You know, even, even if you if you watched the games earlier in the day, with the Big Twelve Championship was was exciting and just it's just nothing like college football.
0: Yeah, it's going to be sad that it's kind of almost over. Um, We did our pipey awards. Actually, we just got over doing those in the discord, but if you missed it, don't worry because um, we will be doing it again on the podcast. And like I said, you could follow along on the discord to see the plays and all the moments. Our, our own Sunil posted everything along with what we were saying on the spaces in the discord. So the link is in the episode description, but First, we've got some ACC championship to recap. We've got a lot of stuff going on in the coaching carousel. So we'll get to that. But, yeah, let's start with this. So, Pitt winning, final score was, I believe, 45 to 21. And Pitt, obviously, their fans parading the streets. A lot of them went down to Charlotte. If not, they were doing it in their own town of Oakland in Pittsburgh. And uh, game started out not how we expected we expected kind of a slow start and for it to pick up over time the trend was kind of the opposite but there were a lot of fireworks to start the game wake took a 21 to 14 lead actually at the end of the first quarter
1: yeah so i mean we talked about it uh the over was what 72 it dropped down to like 71 and a half um and you know i I saw a lot of predictions on twitter saying oh this game's gonna go 100 and 120 and whatever you know obviously just a little bit of hyperbole there, but at the end of the first quarter is 21 to 14 and it looks like, well, geez, I mean, that's technically on pace for 140 points. That's a lot. So um, it, it ended up uh, obviously slowing down dramatically. And and it's crazy to think that Wake Forest takes a 21 to 14 point lead and never scores again. And, you know, I mentioned this on the spaces that we just had Shameless plug, but Sam Hartman, I just Charlotte's just a house of horrors for him, and he ended up turning in a very poor performance. You know, two hundred thirteen yards, two touchdowns, but four interceptions, and uh, the the pit defense stepped up, but then uh, again, you know, it just didn't it just didn't pan out the, the way I, um, I think a lot of people thought it would. Uh, for the Demon Deacons, I thought the game would be closer. I did not think it would be a 24-point blowout. I mean, this game was essentially over after the third quarter, maybe even uh, yeah after the third quarter. But just because Wake couldn't mount anything, and Kenny Pickett was great, super efficient, 253 and two touchdowns. Uh, our Jordan Addison prop—I don't know if you remember if you guys remember from our last award-winning podcast—our Jordan Addison prop was. Over under one and a half touchdowns. He ended up with zero, but he still had eight receptions, 126 yards, and a spectacular reception uh, in the late in the second. Just his skills on full display. But I mean, Pitt eleven and two, very deserving of the conference championship. Now they are going to play. I think Michigan State in a bowl game. So a very great uh, opportunity for Pitt. And, and I guess I guess we need to say it. Hail to Pitt, right?
0: Hail to Pitt. Yeah. They will be playing Michigan State in the Peach Bowl, which I'm very looking, much looking forward to. I am so glad that it's the Michigan State as opposed to it was rumored to be Notre Dame. But, yeah, so we, we had um on our competition, so our prop, yeah, mine was I had the under on Jordan Addison, 1.5 touchdowns. I cashed in on all four, Pit under under 1.5 Jordan Addison touchdowns in Utah minus two and a half against Oregon. And then uh Jason, you went um you went three for yeah you went three for four because you had Pitt, pit the under and you had Alabama plus six and a half but then
1: mm.
0: you, you had the um under on, on wake sacks so and it look, looks
1: like there's three of them and I, it was and you said two and a half, right?
0: Correct. So I I'm up by uh two now in the competition as opposed to I was just down up one, uh before the week started. But yeah, just going back to the ACC championship game. How about Eric Howlett? How about him? Because I think I was looking at the statistics and he was statistically one of the worst slot corners in all of Power Five football this year. And he comes up. I believe he might have won MVP of the game. I. He had two interceptions. One of them was for six, and he just played a very good game. And Hartman, four interceptions, we talked about, are we going to see the good Sam Hartman? Are we going to see the bad Sam Hartman? And it kind of was very reminiscent of the, I think, Wake's bowl game last year where just complete, after a great season by Sam Hartman overall, things just completely got out of hand at the end.
1: Yeah, I, I really thought that the the Wake receiving, if you look at him, you know, A.T. Perry and and Roberson combined for 108 yards, I mean, and one touchdown. I thought that they could really kind of make a living off the pit corners, but give it up for Pitt. They, they stepped up. The Panthers did what they had to do. They, they played really well, um, you know, with the receivers and kind of shut down a very prolific uh, Deeks receiving crew. And that was really the difference in the game. It, we didn't think for any str- you know any stretch of the imagination that the Demon Deacons were going to shut Pitt down, and most of their games this year had been when they won, they just outscored people, and when they lost, they scored a lot of points, but just somewhat the other team scored more. And this time, you know their their uh, their defense did not answer the bell, uh, but neither did their offense, and it just really kind of left a. A game that started out with fireworks ended up kind of, if you're at least if you're a Deeks fan, ended with a thud.
0: Yeah, and let's go back to the three keys that I kind of had of in the game as far as whether Wake would win, right? And the first one was it turns into a back and forth shootout, and I mean it kind of did to start, and I thought that was in a very good spot for Wake because. They could just keep scoring and eventually, you know, make a, a stop, a turnover. They're they're great at that. But obviously, that just stopped happening. The second was um, how well they could get pressure on Kenny Pickett, and they actually did a decent job of that because I said he was pressured 17 times against Western Michigan, 18 times against Miami. Those were both his losses. He got pressured 12 times in this game, so not terrible but, and then they, they had to make Pitt one-dimensional, which sort of, but Pitt just didn't run the ball a lot. And when they did, they did have success, especially with Izzy Abanacanda breaking a couple loose for touchdowns. So just, you just go back and, um, I mean, Pickett, The only time he had more than 50 dropbacks were against UNC and Miami. And he only had 37 or 36 actually in this game. So, uh, Great job by Pitt and Wake. Just they couldn't get it done, they didn't do the necessary things. I don't think this was reminiscent of the team that they put out all year, but there were a couple of times where they just every team does it, they play below their mean performance level, they play above. And this was one of the games I felt like it was just not their best game. And look, Pitt won by a lot of points, I think Pitt is still the better team regardless even if both teams played to the top of their level I think Pitt would have won but it's just you know you, you gotta you gotta tip your cap in this one because um the Panthers just continuously brought their a game in the final stretch of the season
1: yeah I mean but still I mean if you're a Deacons fan and I told you that you know beginning of the year you're gonna be 10 and 3 in the ACC championship game you're gonna lose that game Would you take it? And I think most of them would, you know, um, I can't remember when we were doing over-unders. I can't remember what the Deeks over-under was. I I could try and look that up, but I know it wasn't 10, right? (laughs) I know it wasn't that. So for all intents and purposes, they exceeded expectations. And then just, again, congrats to Pitt. They well-deserved ACC champ.
0: And just a a couple of final stats on this game. So we said before how, The last four ACC championship games have had a 24-plus point margin, and this one Pitt is only favored by three. Well, now we've got five in a row with a 24-plus point margin. Pitt just barely (laughs) gets it. And then also it's the first time the Coastal wins the ACC championship since Virginia Tech did it in 2010. Wow. I mean – it's hard to believe it's kind of been a, the dynasty of the ACC has been Clemson before that it was Florida state. And now finally it's just much more up for grabs. And I think Pitt officially clinching it, whether it was Pitt or Wake, it wouldn't have mattered, but just the fact that we officially have now an ACC champion that is neither of them. It's a big, it's a big deal in the ACC, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, just a quick check. Wake's over under total was six and a half, but you know, People have talked – you were, I think, first on the record to say the Clemson dynasty is over, and this maybe signals that. There's some other things that signal it, mainly possible coaching changes.
0: Yeah, so how about that? This week was just absolutely crazy. We started off – we don't have to go chronologically. We'll we'll start with Clemson because their athletic director, um, Dan Dan Radic. Radakovich, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. We'll call him D.Rad. So D.Rad goes from Clemson to Miami as their new athletic director, and that's that's obviously you know Clemson. There we talked about the Kirk Cur- curb Street report about how Clemson's a very well designed institution. They collaborate with the athletic department in order to everybody has the ideals to make the football team great, and that's why it happens. And now Clemson. The athletic director goes to Miami, and Miami, they their institution makes a promise to invest more into football and stop this downward spiral. And to, to put the cherry on top, there is rumors, it's not official, Manny Diaz is still their head coach, but it is, there are rumors that Mario Cristobal is going to be their head coach for the 2022 season.
1: Yeah, so, well, hey, let's not forget about – there's also rumors that Brent Venables, uh, Clemson's defensive coordinator, is going to be head coach at Oklahoma. None of these are, um, you know, official yet. So, until the ink is on the paper, we'll just still treat it as such. Let me just go on record by by saying, I don't care what you think about Miami. I don't care whether you're a diehard Canes fan or you hate them with a fire of a thousand suns. How can this, how is this Manny Diaz thing even possible? How are you t- letting this guy twist in the wind? If the reports are correct, this is what it, the, uh, the, the, I guess, the sequence of events are. If Mario Cristobal wants the job, it's his. If he doesn't he, and he turns it down to stay at, and, and signs an extension with Oregon, it's Manny Diaz's. And this is all done in public. This is all like public. It's on Twitter. It's everywhere. I mean, how are you if, you, if you're Manny Diaz, here's what I do. And I, I pray that Cristobal turns the job down. And then I quit because this is like such a slap in the face. Miami was basically left for dead. They had two or three, you know, really um, bad losses as far as like tough, tough losses. There were bad breaks, you know, doinked off the upright against Virginia. And we've talked about some of those. But his team still fought. You know, I, I know there's a lot of Hurricane fans that that aren't the big, biggest Manny Diaz fan. And that's fine. That's fine to not want your coach to think you should go in a different direction or even want Mario Cristobal. But you literally have, you don't have an athletic director. You have boosters trying to get Mario Cristobal, when you already have a coach and I mean, just either fire him or, you know, support him. And, but the way this is unfolding is just a total, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. The way they've treated these, especially considering this isn't like a Dan Mullen from Florida situation or, or some other teams that we saw this year, even maybe a Duke with David Cutcliffe where the team just imploded and they're, you know, clearly the leadership was gone and it was time to move on. This wasn't that, this was the opposite. I mean, Manny Diaz had his guys fighting, you know, scratching, clawing, and they finished the year strong. Again, it's fine to want to move on from him or or think there's something but the, do it in this manner. It's just unconscionable.
0: And the thing is like the dominoes are not yet to fall because we don't know necessarily the final decision on where uh, D-Rad, the athletic director, ends up. Like, like we think that he's um, going to Miami, but that's not official. And the final decision will be decided after the head coaching situation is resolved. So, I mean, Miami could be an absolute terrible situation. They could be in an ideal situation where they get their athletic director and they get Mario Cristobal, but we will find out my midday tomorrow. So a lot of you listening to this podcast will already know what what the situation is with the coaching. And yeah, it's it's very possible that it could be Manny Diaz resigns and they don't get Cristobal. He stays at Oregon, and then they don't get their athletic director. Like
1: <laughs> so many moving pieces, you know. And and as we mentioned, not just with Miami, where there's also obviously the Duke vacancy. There's Clemson that. They, they may lose Venables. They may lose their offensive coordinator. I've heard rumors of their offensive coordinator possibly uh, to fill the UVA role or possibly to fill um, the Duke head coaching vacancy. So it's crazy in, in a season, uh, you know, we had such a, a tumultuous season last year with COVID. And then this year, it seems like all that pent up <laughs> frustration and anger is being taken out. And we just have, we've seen coaching. Uh, the carousel explode. You know, obviously we have the Brian Kelly with LSU and then uh, Lincoln Riley with USC, and that's just you know those are all those are obviously the the big needle movers. But there's a lot going on right now in the ACC.
0: By the way, though, before we before we get to that, the one thing that Clemson does have that Miami doesn't, Clemson still has Dabo, and we know they will still have Dabo. So I think they're definitely in much better shape, but. Either way, a lot of moving pieces, and one of them, actually, this one completely shocked me. UVA's Bronco Mendenhall decides to step down following the bowl game. So I will coach in the bowl game. We do not have the new UVA head coach, but it's – I mean, this shocked me. And now we've had time to process it. It is Sunday. I believe this happened on Thursday. And – now we think like there's a lot of talent in that, in that team, right? In that program, does Brendan Armstrong stay? That does Don Savion Wicks, all their receiving talent, all their young talent, do they stay? Who's their next head coach? We, a lot of this will be contingent on whether the assistants stay. And we have a lot to r- reveal about this UVA situation. But first off, just talk to me about what your first reaction was when you heard this news
1: Well, I'm with you. I was shocked. I did not foresee this coming. I know there's a lot, and we've had some of the UVA guys on our pod before. I know there's a lot of frustration, and they finished, you know, what? they finished 6-6, and and they're going to go to a bowl. They did that by the skin of their teeth. There was a couple games that probably they won, and they shouldn't have. But that all that being said, they went into the pit game. If they went out, they were going to be in the ACC championship game. Now they didn't, but it's not like they were just atrocious this year. Yeah. Maybe they, there was some regression, but um, they still had, as you mentioned, offensive pieces worked their defense, you know, let them down numerous times, but the offense was kind of clicking and, I just wasn't I wasn't expecting this, especially he did it on his own accord. I guess the reports say that an athletic director tried to talk him to staying, but he just had said no, he's going to take time off, spend time with his wife. And so I, I don't know. I really don't know where they, they need to go. Um, but, I mean, both, both Virginia programs are going to have new head coaches next year.
0: Yeah, and – I just the one thing about UVA and Bronco Mendenhall. I I was very pleasantly surprised to see pretty much 95 to 99% of everything I saw was just love from his players, from his fans, from his coaches for what he did, for how he was an off the field leader as well as an on the field leader. And I being a college football coach, neither of us could understand fully because we've never been a college football coach or anywhere in the industry, but it's a crazy job and I completely do not blame him for wanting to step aside for a little bit, whether he goes back to it or not. That's obviously a decision he'll make in the future, but I just want to say like, I I don't blame him for what he's doing and it's putting UVA in a very difficult situation. And he talks about that in his press conference, how he's kind of like, he's, he feels like he let them down a little bit, but he had to make the best decision for himself. But I, I don't, I completely see where he's coming from. Like being a college coach is a job that just completely takes over your life and a lot more than any particular job that any like normal folk would have.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess the only thing that probably usurps it would be NFL coach, right? Which, yeah. You
0: know, but you co- know, like college coach, you have to be the coach and the CEO of your own program. So if anything, it might be even more.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just as far as like, being um attached from your family you always hear about uh nfl coaches living in caves but the one thing nfl coaches don't have to do is recruiting and getting on the recruiting trail and it's always a lot to keep track of and especially now when you've thrown in the curveball of the transfer portal so really uh, it's understandable but i'm with you i was just shocked when it happened
0: and then Finally, our final thing that happened this week was Virginia Tech hiring uh, Penn State defensive coordinator Brent Pry, which the Hokies fan base was finally very happy about something that happened in their football program, which is great to see. I think this was the right hire for them. We had the Diablo fan account on our podcast, and he basically would agree with the entire assessment that – we made because he said he wants somebody who has knowledge of big money institutions, and Pry has experience at Penn State. I think, whereas he has experience Clemson.
1: Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, you know, one important thing he said, and this has kind of been absent from the Hokies program for the last few years, is he said they're going to recruit their footprint. I think that's key. There's so much talent, a lot of hidden gems in the DMV area. And really, Justin Fuente had gotten away from that. He had burned a lot of bridges. There was a lot of high school coaches in the Virginia area. And it was, you know, most of it was done off the record, that basically just said, you know, they don't have a relationship with him. He um, didn't really ask their opinion or evaluations on anything. And he kind of just let everything burn to the ground. If Pry backs that up then you could see uh, Virginia Tech kind of turning around quickly, especially if they can get a little bit, little bit more talent on the offensive side of the ball, namely at the quarterback position. Because, you know, he's going to obviously bring that stout and kind of traditional Hokies defense to the forefront. As you mentioned, he uh, was at Penn State, and Penn State has had great defenses over the last few years. Even when they've lost guys like Odafe Oway and Micah Parsons to the NFL, they've still been, you know, one of the top defenses in the country. And if he can get back to kind of doing that, you know, Frank Beamer was always, you know, defense and special teams that kind of led that lunch pail mentality for the Hokies. If he gets back to that, then, then maybe they could, you know, kind of turn it around relatively quickly.
0: Yeah. I love how he talks about recruiting in his own state because the Virginia ties are very critical. We have seen, Programs like Penn State with him and Clemson and UNC march into the state and steal all the top talent. And now, finally, I know our guy NCAAF Nation is huge on this. Finally, we have somebody in state that could recruit and get the Virginia talent to stay home. And that is huge. Also, like you said, great defensive mind. And he just he has experience developing top talent. If I were a four or five star recruit in Virginia, I would definitely want to play for a guy like Brent Pry. Especially if he revamps this Virginia Tech program. So the only con I think is he lacks head coaching experience. But I mean, you're gonna to have to have some trade-off. I think the pros certainly outweigh the trade-offs. So Agreed. um, I mean, that's all we got for that. We'll talk about when these The um, news continues to unravel. We'll get to that probably on the next episode. By the time we record Wednesday night, we'll have a lot more information found out, especially on Virginia and Miami, perhaps Duke. But I think that's going to lead us to our uh, first annual edition of the Pipey Awards. So our Pipey Awards, we will be honoring the best and worst, like we've mentioned, of just plays, moments, games, Twitter accounts, memes, gifts, just everything ACC football this year. We will make this a tradition. Actually, it'll be a – is it biannual or semiannual? Twice a year, whatever. Um, we'll be doing it for football, and we'll be doing it for basketball. And it's just going to be – um, it's on our Discord, so you like the episode description, the link is in there, so follow it Follow it along there. There's uh, our guy, Sunil, posted everything you needed there, the clips for the corresponding plays that we will refer to, and just background information on everything, but let's get it started. So our first award is pretty simple. We're starting with awards just for the highlight reel and catch of the year. Is going to go to Dontavion Wicks with his catch on the ground against Miami.
1: Yeah. So as Dan mentioned, you definitely follow along. Uh, we have all the, the visuals, the accompanying visuals in the Discord. So yeah, if you're listening to this, join our Discord and check these out because these are great highlights. And and this is this is a, a great catch. I, I mentioned it in our spaces how. This kind of was reminiscent of the old uh, Green Bay, you know, Brett Favre, Antonio Freeman play on Monday night football, where the, the ball landed on his back and Al Michaels was like, he, he did what, you know, um, Wicks just, it, Miami defense should have actually intercepted this ball, but the, it, the ball gets knocked out and the ball lands on Wicks's back. He flips over, pops up in the air, catches it with one hand for a touchdown. And remember, uh, UVA won this game, I think, by, what, two or three points? So a great play, a miraculous play, and just great concentration by Wicks. Well-deserved for catch of the year.
0: And then we'll correspond the catch of the year with, of course, the run of the year, which is going to go to Malik Cunningham against Duke. Yeah,
1: Malik Cunningham, he came in this game, he was sick and how's he going to perform you know at this point Duke's already mid implosion but can they catch a a a sick Cunningham and and pull out a victory the answer is resounding no and this uh, run really highlighted that we've said it before it was like you you're playing Madden and you turn down the difficulty level and he's just running all over the field breaking tackles guys around his ankles and I think it was like a seventy-three-yard run. He probably ran two hundred yards because he's running back and forth. But just unbelievable display of athleticism and Malik Cunningham with our pipey for run of
0: the year. And more on Duke's down bad situation later. But the third award, the best use of a teammate as a tackling dummy, and that is going to go to Georgia Tech's Jordan Dominic versus Kennesaw State, where he essentially was running back a fumble six and he stiff arms his own defender into a block to clear himself the path to run into the end zone.
1: Just a great, a a great clip. And, and, you know, it was probably one of the uh, last times that, that Georgia tech fans were cheering, maybe that UNC game later on in the year, but, you know, picks up a fumble, runs it back stiff arms, uh, one of the guys on offense to the ground. And then there's got to be one more guy. He takes his own teammate and throws his carcass in, into uh, the defender and scores himself a touchdown. And Georgia Tech fans are going crazy. Just a, a great play and a well-deserved hype
0: So moving on to our next category, which is games and performances. Pretty self-explanatory. We're going to start with the best game of the year, and that is NC State at Wake 45 to 42 which was essentially the de facto atlantic championship which was just i mean it decided the reason why wake went to the championship over nc state
1: yeah we had some you know dan and i fought it out a little bit on this one and we we contemplated the nc state unc game because that was obviously an amazing game that um, had a, a crazy ending, but this was just the entire game back and forth, switching leads. You know, one team's going to pull away. The other team makes a play, whether it be special teams or defense, wasn't necessarily the crispest and cleanest game, but, but it, just for drama, it was just an amazing, and, you know, obviously you see the clip here of AT Perry and got a little, got away with a little bit of a push off, but Hey, touchdown counted. And, NC State ends up coming up half a yard short from recovering the onside kick. And that probably kept them out of the ACC championship game, as, as Dan mentioned. But really an amazing game it goes to uh, for our game of the year, Wake Forest and NC State.
0: And then following up the best game with the absolute worst game of the year, and that is Rutgers at Syracuse, a 17 to 7 victory for the Scarlet Knights in the Dome.
1: Yeah, really just a vomit fest, right? It was a bad game. I tried to look for highlights of it or lowlights, whichever one you want to say. Couldn't find any, to be honest. It was a, a couple things on YouTube, but it just clip after clip of it being zero to zero. I, th- I don't think anyone scored till the second half. And really a snooze fest. And look, it wasn't because they were playing dominating defense. It just wasn't a good, a well-played game. And uh, so
0: Rutgers and Syracuse for our worst game of the year. And then we've had a lot of great performances by quarterbacks this year. Obviously, we've we've advertised that we are the conference of quarterbacks. But what about the ones that don't get as much love, the ones that are not the greatest quarterbacks but have had great performances this year? So this award is nominated to the best performance by a quarterback, not named Kenny, Brennan, Sam, Devin, Sam again, Malik, or Tyler. And that's going to go to Garrett Schrader versus Virginia Tech, 236 yards passing and two touchdowns, 178 yards rushing and an additional three touchdowns for a 41 to 36 win on the road against the Hokies.
1: Yeah, just an amazing performance, especially midseason by Schrader. We had come into the year with so many question marks at Syracuse at quarterback, but Schrader kind of steadied that ship, at at least in the middle part of the year, and really just put the team on his back. Uh, especially in this game, a game that Virginia Tech really had no business losing, and that probably helped seal some of the Justin Fuente's fate by losing games such as this. But Schrader just doing it through the air, doing it on the ground, you know, scoring all over the place. I think it was you said five total touchdowns, just a, a, an outstanding performance. So best performance, the pipey for the best performance by QB not named. Brennan, Kenny, Sam, Devin, Sam again, Malik, and Tyler.
0: Yeah, and then um, that's kind of going along the same category, just the most random dominant performance that you'll probably completely forget about, and that is Mateo Durant's 255-yard rushing performance in a loss at Charlotte. Yeah, so
1: Duke starts out in the year playing Charlotte. If you go back and listen to our pods previewing the game, Dan and I actually had concerns whether Duke was going to win this game or not, and they ended up not. But it wasn't because of, you know, Mateo Durant. Just an unbelievable performance, 255 yards. And if you check that out, the clip here, I love it when he's diving through the air. The, Wee! You know, just, just a great performance. I had him midseason in my top five running backs in the country, not just the ACC in the country you know they ended up he ended up fading a little bit but that was really duke as a team i wouldn't uh pin that on him but just an amazing performance that really nobody i think including his his parents are going to remember
0: that is brutal but actually probably true so we've got our next award the biggest bad beat of the year you guys watch these on uh scott van pelt segment on sports center clemson covers against Florida State on a meaningless last play fumble 6.
1: Yeah, so Dan's using meaningless there with air quotes because Clemson was going to win the game either way, but to set the stage, it, Florida State's down 24 to 20, they have probably like 80 yards to go for a touchdown. They start lateraling the ball. Jordan Travis gets it. Laterals it back and it, and it goes through his teammate's hand and Clemson picks it up and runs it in. Now, Dan and I both had Clemson in this game, minus nine and a half. The reason this was such a bad beat, because we've seen this happen before, and they've been bad beats, but this swung the line in three different things. So it caused Clemson to cover, it caused the over to hit, and it caused Clemson's team total to hit. So if you had gone heavy on Florida State, especially in this game, you could have gone heavy three different ways, You're probably listening to this in a cardboard box right now because just an unbelievable bad beat. One play swings three different lines. Unbelievable.
0: That's just the beauty of sports and college sports especially. And uh, the next category we have is actually going to just be random, like moments, miscellaneous moments that we've had this year in ACC football. And the next award will be the rub salt in the wound award. That's going to go to Mac Brown and Manny Diaz. Jason, explain this one.
1: Yeah. So well, this, this is one of my favorite pipeys, I think, you know, after the, so Miami and, and, and UNC locked in a battle, UNC has control of the game, most of the game and Miami storms back. And they're, they're now only down three. They've driven to, they're well within field goal range. So they at least should tie the game up and go into overtime, if not win it in regulation. Instead, they throw an interception, the game over, and UNC prevails. But then this this moment was caught on camera. Follow along in our Discord. But Mac Brown shaking Manny Diaz's hand, and he just won't let him go. Manny Diaz is clearly annoyed. He just wants to get on the bus and start crying. And but Mac. Just not letting the handshake go, patting him on the shoulder, holding his arm. It's like, dude, this guy wants to die right now, and you're doing nothing but rubbing salt in the wound. What a great
0: pipey. And then another great pipey. How about this one? College kickers being college kickers moment. Florida State's whiffed onside kick kicker Ryan Fitzgerald against Miami. Against Florida. I'm sorry, against Florida.
1: Yeah, so rivalry game, this is actually bowl eligibility. Both teams, five, come in with five wins. Whoever wins this is going to bowl. Whoever doesn't is not going to bowl. The Gators up 10. Florida State scores. Now they're only down three, but they need the onside kick. And what do they get? They get their kicker just whiffing on an onside kick. I don't think I've ever seen this on any level of football. It was just a total embarrassment. If you look at the replays, the ball goes maybe six inches. And then when they – it just basically falls off the tee. And when they touch it, it's illegal touching, and Florida gets the ball. But just really a a college kicker being a college kicker.
0: And how about college offensive coordinators being college offensive coordinators? This one is going to go to the worst play call. And I don't think – Anything else came close to UVA's pass to their offensive tackle backwards against Virginia Tech in the red zone on third and goal when they needed a touchdown to win.
1: Just an amazing play, amazingly bad. This, I really think, and this is a pipey for this year for worst play of the year. This might be worst play of all time because I have no earthly idea what Virginia's thinking. They need a touchdown. They're they're deep in the red zone. They lateral it back to an offensive lineman. Now he's 18 yards away. He's got to, just think about how long it's going to take an offensive lineman to run 18 yards. Now the defense is the red zone. They're all squished together. They're all right there. I, I don't know what they were thinking. If you have Don and You have Billy Kemp. You have like great uh, players on your team you have Brennan Armstrong he could run the ball in and then you throw it backwards to an offensive line that's 18 yards away he's got to run in uh, even if it's a backwards pass to, to throw you know a lateral to throw a pat you, you're going to want your offensive lineman chucking the ball from the 20 yard line when you have Brennan Armstrong it's, it's just hilariously bad and cause him to lose the game and, and who knows maybe that loss factored into You know, the aforementioned Brian Mendenhall stepping down. Who knows?
0: And uh, speaking of unfortunate losses on the last play or at the end of the game, how about this award, the most awkward time to propose to your girlfriend, and that is going to go to Brody Scott after his Seminoles lose to an FCS team, Jacksonville State, on a last-second Hail Mary.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we the, the Seminoles started out the year, and they obviously had a bad year last year. Started out the year with that inspired performance versus Notre Dame, and we think, hey, maybe the Seminoles have some magic this year. This is game number two in which they lose to an FCS team on a, just an atrocious Hail Mary in which the, the Seminoles DBs were giving half efforts, and they they run the ball in for the, for the win. And I'm sure this guy was like, you know what, I'm going to plan it for – Jacksonville State game, that'll be an easy W. I can propose on the field. <laughs> and maybe her family was in town. I don't know. I mean, but you can't pull out at this point, right? You probably have all this, the the uh plans set up and you have everything ready to go. But it's just it just really uh encompasses the the seminal season in one that one screenshot of him on his knee proposing to his girlfriend while an FCS team celebrates on your own home turf of victory
0: that's some sort of picture isn't it (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to the twitter award so this segment just awarding the best accounts the worst the worst takes um etc so the next award is going to go to our best twitter troll of the acc this year and that is going to go to who else but our guy the diablo fan account
1: yeah, obviously we had Diablo on on the pod before. Great Twitter account. Love his content. Some of the funniest stuff. And even if you're not a Hokies fan, definitely encourage everyone to give him a follow because the stuff he he, he uh, writes is is just hilarious and it, just a, a great overall troll, great overall Twitter account.
0: Next up, the best for stats and info, I don't think this could go to anybody else but David Hale.
1: Yeah, friend of the pod, David's been on the on our podcast before, and just a great down to earth guy, and always comes up with some of the best stats that you, that you, you know on, on Twitter, and uh, especially with the ACC. And definitely give him a follow if for some weird reason you're not already following him.
0: But uh, David Hale, you know nobody does it better. And next up, our best uh, player account. This is going to go to Sean Tucker, whose Twitter presence just increased throughout the year. It was great. He was pleased with his performance on several occasions, and I don't think there's any better player Twitter account story that arose this year. But Sean Tucker with Syracuse, along with his performance, Arise.
1: Yeah, it's just hilarious. You know, he I think he started out the year with around thousand followers, and it just ballooned as A, his performance on the field increased, and and uh, really the accolades were kind of flowing in but also his his tweets were hilarious you know just he was pleased with his performance or they lost the game or whatever everyone was just kind of sitting waiting for that you know Sean Tucker tweet they were probably uh caring more about that than the uh actually outcome of the orange game but a a great
0: uh player to to follow in Sean Tucker and then this one was well, we're just going to call this one the biggest freezing cold take of the year. It is by our our guys at Pick 6 Previews, who they did say claim to be the most accurate power five predictors since 2012. And I don't deny that, but I think they definitely um, crapped the bed this year with their prediction. 2021 playoffs. One, Oklahoma. Two, Georgia. Three, Ohio State. Okay, it's not so bad so far, right? For North Carolina. Yeah,
1: so I, I, I already said this once, but to uh, paraphrase Meatloaf, you know, I, you guys know I'm a big music aficionado. Prepare to paraphrase the uh, singer Meatloaf, one out of four ain't bad. But the fourth one, UNC, that one got torpedoed relentlessly throughout the year. And even Oklahoma, multiple losses. Ohio State, multiple losses. And it, look, we give it in jest, you know, we love bad predictions. Don't take yourself so seriously that that you can't. And I'm, you know what I'm, I'm proud of. I'm proud of these guys didn't delete this tweet, right? Cause a lot of people would have deleted a tweet like this. That was so far off. Uh, but they didn't. And, and Hey, we've made bad predictions. It happens. If you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to be wrong at some point, but it's just, it's always fun to just kind of, kind of, uh, Joke around, and, and this takes the pipey for a coldest take of the year.
0: The pipey for the best parody account for an ACC offensive coordinator, Mister Forty Five Plus himself, Mark Whipple. <laughs> I think this was self-nominated. I think Mark Whipple <laughs> nominated himself,
1: and then won the pipey on top of it, and then capped it off with Pitt winning the ACC championship game. So definitely a funny count. And and it as the year went on, especially as Pitt's success grew and grew uh it was just a funny count to follow and uh mark whipple parody account great one
0: yeah there were some times beforehand where i got confused with him as the actual mark whipple but now i just can't think of mark whipple without thinking of the actual account it's just he's just gotten to that point so it's it's really amazing the last awards we will do just miscellaneous awards that we couldn't categorize but definitely worthy pipey awards Um, the first of that category will be the best quote and that is going to be by who else but Dabo Sweeney you wouldn't expect anything less from him this is a quote that's not very controversial it's just funny he said the road to success is always under construction you know just like (laughs) I-95
1: yeah no the the press gives Dabo a lot of heat and then he said some kind of off the wall things before but this is just a funny one I enjoy Dabo. I don't take it too seriously. Like I said, you know, I don't get involved in, in the, the politics or controversy of it all. Uh, but this is kind of just a, a fun tongue in cheek thing. So.
0: And then uh, kind of along these lines, the best catchphrase, just we had miles Fox on the pod and he kind of talked this one up, has his team really rallied around this one. Dave Clawson. His quote, his catchphrase this year was always oh, good to great, and it really worked out to rally the Deeks.
1: Yeah, we already mentioned in this pod, they were, what, six-and-a-half win total, and they end the year with 10 with a chance for a bowl game to make it 11. Really worked with uh, with Claussen, you know, in this and this phrase, and, and overall, and, you know, as we already talked about, David Hale, when he was on the pod, he talked about Wake and their super seniors, and they were – really leveraging those and this just backs it up and and, and great great uh, kind of galvanizing statement by by uh dave fawson
0: and then our next award the black fly in your chardonnay award that's going to go to brennan armstrong who led power five football in the both the advanced categories per pff of big time throws and turnover worthy plays
1: the ultimate gunslinger, and I think that's kind of highlighted in that first, uh, that first, our first pipey with catch of the year. In that, it should have been an interception, but it ends up falling in for a touchdown. And you know, it's it's kind of going all or nothing with with Brennan. And maybe you know, maybe there were times he, he made some turnover worthy plays because he knew he couldn't rely on his defense, so he's just trying to force it in there. That happens, but really, just the the ultimate kind of gunslinger and black fly in your Chardonnay, as you said.
0: Our second to last award, the big Dick energy award, and that is going to go to Tyler Van Dyke. When he talked down NC state, he says, I don't think they could stop us. And then he has a dominating performance against them in a win. And I think we should rename the award big Dyke energy.
1: Yeah, definitely big Dyke energy, right? You know, if you, Take a look at this highlight, just a great throw. And, and the stats right are right there uh, on the Discord, the 325 and four touchdowns. This is after saying that NC State couldn't stop them. And the funny thing was, is, and people gave him a lot of flack for this, and but he ended up backing it up. He wasn't involved in the game last year with NC State and versus Miami. But he was this year, and he was involved so much that he he led the Hurricanes to a a really solid win at home versus a tough
0: NC state team. Our last might be award. Sorry to end this on a negative note, but the biggest disgrace of the year in the ACC, and we couldn't come to a consensus on this. So we just made it a two way tie between Duke and the ACC refs.
1: Right. So uh, like I said, the the refs probably have a a permanent spot in, in all conferences and in all walks alive life in, in, in this category. But yeah, the Duke, you know, it's hard to, you know, we talked about this. They started the year 3-1, and one, and then that was the last victory, and it was just all losses after that. If you look at the screenshot right here, ton of losses, and a lot of them not even close, and really just fell off a cliff. They've obviously, you know, cut ties with David Cutcliffe, and they're probably going to have to try and go in a, a different a new kind of maybe creative direction but really just kind of the biggest one of the biggest disappointments of the year the ACC refs and
0: Duke Duke especially I don't know I I think Duke might deserve it a little more but the ACC refs are always going to ACC ref I don't know but yeah um, that's gonna do it for our first annual pipeys or semi-annual pipepies and uh, we'll be back with it for basketball season we'll Be back with the next episode Wednesday night as more of this coaching uncertainty unveils, and we'll go back to basketball a little bit. But that's going to do it for today. So um, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, Leave us a five-star review if you like what you hear on the podcast and continue to follow us on Twitter and engage with us there. But once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC podcast.